Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. I want to talk to you uh, this morning uh, about the parable of the lost son, Luke chapter 15. Uh, But before we go to the text, you can go ahead and get your Bibles out or your smartphones and go ahead and flip the pages or digitally take your finger to that text. But before we get to the text, I really feel like that there are some people in here that have been praying for your sons and your daughters to come home. So I want to declare first Isaiah 43, chapter 6, over this house, over every parent in this house, and over every son and daughter that's walking waywardly outside of this house. Isaiah 46, 43, 6, I'm sorry, says, I will say to the north, give them up, and I will say to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. See, this was my story. This is your story. This is many of the sons and the daughters in this house. That is their story. And see, the Bible says in Revelation that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what that means is my testimony is your prophetic word. My testimony is your prophetic word. What God has done in me is what he will do in your house, in your family. He is no respecter of persons. If he does it for me, he'll do it for you. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The story of Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, how Jesus revives and saves, transforms us, that is not just for an elect few. That is for all that call upon the name of the Lord. So if you have been in deep intercession over family members, know that this word is going to be like a catalyst that begins to stir the pot in your family members. And I just prophesied they're coming back home. They're coming back home. So Luke chapter... 15. Luke chapter 15. What's interesting about Luke chapter 15 is we always start when we're teaching or preaching the parable of the prodigal son in verse 12. But if you start at verse 12, then you're not being responsible with the text. I love these shirts. I want to, you know, the shirt that says straight out of content, right? I want a shirt as a preacher that says straight out of context, right? Because we like to take stuff out of context. But you see, what's happening in chapter 15 is found really to get the backdrop of what Jesus is doing. It's found in verses 1 and 2. So let's start at verses 1 and 2 first. Then all the tax collectors, say tax collectors, and all the sinners, say sinners, drew near to him. And the Pharisees, say Pharisees. And the scribes, say scribes. You're getting a vocal workout this morning. So there's two groups of people, four different types of people, right? There's the religious, and then there's the sinners. In the religious were the Pharisees and scribes, and the sinners were the tax collectors and sinners, right? They were gathered, they were hearing Jesus speak. And see, the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, they were murmuring, they were getting mad. And they said, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So we spoke this parable to them. For time's sake, the first parable is about a lost sheep. A man loses one sheep, it goes off, it's wayward, right? 
and it leaves the 99, right? He leaves the 99, he goes to the one. So this is a one one hundredth of a loss in the first parable. And then he moves on to this lost coin. A woman had 10 coins, she loses one. So it's a one-tenth loss. So we move to a one hundredth loss to a one-tenth loss and then Jesus is about to seal the deal and he's saying, okay, I've talked to the farmers, I've talked to the agricultural people here, I've talked to the money changers, the tax collectors, now I'm going to talk to the families, right? Right? In verse 12. And we move into the prodigal son, the lost son. And see, I read texts like this and I try to put myself in the story. I try to go back to the first century because this is the thing, if we read this text with 21st century eyes, we're gonna, we're gonna lose the motive of God. Could you imagine what it was like hearing Jesus speak? He's the master rabbi. And see, when Jesus spoke, he never just spoke to one person. You see, remember, there was two groups of people, four different types of people. Jesus could preach parables and he could reach every single person in the crowd. But in this particular case, Jesus is reaching those on the fringe of the crowd. Thank God that God is concerned with not just who is up front, not who's just at the altar, not just who is in the worship team, but he's concerned with those that are on the fringe of the crowd. And see, this text right here is what got Jesus murdered. This text right here is absolutely scandalous because Galatians 4 says he was born of a woman born under the law. Really, the inauguration of the New Testament was inaugurated when Jesus spilt his blood, right? He was still a man under the law. So when he's going through these parables, remember who's listening. Those that are deep in sin are listening and those that are deep in religion, the Mosaic law are listening. So this is where we're at. He's speaking a parable and he's talking to many different types of people in the same crowd. Verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Everyone say two. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided to them, very important, to them, his livelihood. Who's them? It's both of his sons. See, we always focus on the villain. We love to focus on the villain. We love to focus on the dysfunctional one, right? And really, to be responsible of this text, you know how we call it the parable of the prodigal son? It's not the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus never calls him the prodigal son. You wanna know why? Because God never labels you by your dysfunction. Read the text. He never calls him the prodigal son. It's usually the heading over the text that says the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son. And really, if you want to be responsible with the text, it's really the parable of the prodigal father. And I, I know when you hear that, maybe something begins to recoil in your heart and you're like, oh no. Look at the definition. It means wasteful. How can God be wasteful? He's wasteful with his love and mercy because it never runs out. So this is the parable of really the prodigal father. It's not really about the younger son or the elder son. It's really showing who the father is, right? Verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, 
and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. It's the difference between prodigal living and being labeled a prodigal. You see it? But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him in the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one gave him anything. This is very important right here. No one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, and he was still a great way off. His father saw him, had compassion on him, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf here, and let's kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son, for this my son, was dead, and it is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then they began to be merry. If I had time, I would love to talk about the spirit of the elder. But I can't talk about the spirit of the elder because I don't have time. I have to talk about the prodigal father, and I have to talk about the lost son. So you see how Jesus is speaking to everybody in the crowd. The elder son really represents the Pharisees, right? The lost son represents the, sins and the, the sinners and the tax collectors. Did you know that every time God speaks, he's speaking, listen, to the Pharisee in you and the prodigal in you? What do you mean? I don't have a Pharisee. Yes, you do. You have a Pharisee in you. The Pharisee in you is the self-righteousness in you. And the prodigal in you is the lack of righteousness in you. You see that? You see there's always two different types of people that are living on the inside of you. And Jesus is always speaking to both of those people. He's always speaking to those two natures that like to rise up within us. So, I mean, Jesus is here. He's speaking and he's piercing the hearts of those that are hearing. And in this moment, he says, look, this father has two sons. And the younger of them comes to him and says, hey, dad, give me the portion of my inheritance that falls to me. A lot of theologians, a lot of pastors say that the younger son was dealing with the spirit of greed. I don't think so. I don't think he was dealing with the spirit of greed. He was actually asking for what was rightfully his, but he was asking it too early. You see, really what he was doing is he was saying, hey, dad, you're dead to me. Because you see, we can't get our inheritance until our parents have died because they have something called a will. So back in Jewish culture, it's the elder son that got a double portion and the younger son would really get one third, right, of the inheritance because we're dealing with two sons, right? So 
He goes to his father and he says, give me the portion of the inheritance that falls to me. He wasn't dealing with greed. I think he was dealing with entitlement. Everyone say entitlement. We all have entitlement within us. That's the self-righteousness within us. That's, I deserve this. This is mine. You owe this to me. Entitlement says that everyone else in my world is dead but me. My, everybody revolves around me. I'm at the center of it. So you need to give me what I want right now. The essence of addiction is entitlement. I don't care what you say. Mom, dad, I don't care how you've taught me. But I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to do it. Entitlement. It's not just selfishness, it's entitlement. Entitlement always has to do with me at the center of the world and you need to respond to me and bow down to my needs because I am the most important person in this room. The younger son was dealing with a spirit of entitlement. And what, the, what does the father do? The father, he's prodigal. He says, okay, I'm gonna give you what you want. But this is where we really make the younger son the villain because remember it says he divided his inheritance between them. So can you see the picture? I, I deal with this in my house all the time. Blakely goes to Ember and says, hey, Ember, ask mom and dad this. And then Blakely's right around the corner ear hustling, right? Because she wants to reap off what the younger daughter has come and asked her parents for, right? So the elder son is actually right behind the younger son and he has his hand out too. And he's saying, well, hey, dad, if he's gonna go ahead and ask for what's his, now you're dead to me too. So I want what's mine now. So this is really right? A parable of a farm dealing with a dysfunctional family, with a righteous father. You've ever lived in a dysfunctional family, right? Huh? See, we can't admit that. You want to know why? Because the American church, our sin's so sophisticated. You walk out to the ghetto, you know what's going on. You walk into the church, Let's put it on. We're good. My family's, no, no, we're not good. We're not good. This is for us. Well, my son's not an addiction. I don't care. You might be the elder son. You might be the religious person on the fringe of the crowd waiting for judgment to come. By this time, the Pharisees and the scribes are listening to this story. And see, they're very familiar with the law. And they're waiting to see how Jesus is going to respond to this. He's telling a story, and he's telling about a son that is disobeying and rebellious towards his parents. The Pharisees knew exactly what was supposed to happen to that son. They're waiting. They're waiting to find a reason to accuse Jesus. So then what happens is the son goes out. He goes to a far country, it says. And he gathers everything together, and it says he wastes his possessions with prodigal living. You see, the father really didn't give him money. The father actually had a farm, and he divided up his farm in different plots of land, gave a certain plot of land to the younger son, and then the younger son went into the village and said, hey, my daddy has land for sale. Who wants to buy it? So this was a dishonor against his family's name because after the younger son left, the family farm was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And we don't know what the elder did because the elder stayed on the farm. But all we know is that this farm is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if your kids went out and sold land right before due time 
and then everybody's talking about you, everybody's talking about your family name. Some of us have been embarrassed when our kids have done things, right? Or our family member has gone out, right? And they've made bad decisions and everybody's talking about our family name. This is what's happening right now. The farm is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the son goes out and he takes all of the money that he got from this land and he wastes it with prodigal living. The text never says right here what he wastes his money upon But later, the elder son knew exactly what he wasted his money on. He tells you what he wasted his money upon. So you want to know what that speaks to me? The elder son knew exactly where he was, but refused to go get him. He knew exactly where he was, knew exactly what he was doing, but he never went to go get him. It says he wasted all of his inheritance with prodigal living. And then the text says, then a severe famine arose in the land. See, we don't like to talk about this. The famine was an announcement of God's judgment. Old Testament, I will shut up the rains if you are in sin, and I I will cause the earth not to produce its fruit. So you see a sun going out, you see a famine coming. And see, this is, this is, when we pray, God sent our children home. God reached my family member. At times, do you know what we're praying for? We're praying for a famine. But we don't like that theology. We want their conversion to be nice and sweet and put a big bow on it and says, hey, my child just, no, no, no. Sometimes it takes a famine. Sometimes it takes circumstances that are out of your control. Because listen, God is really not concerned of how they come to repentance as long as they just come to repentance. I tell people all the time, the grace of God came in my life in the form of blue lights. (laughs) I did not find Jesus at the altar of a church. I'm not going to go through my testimony, but I was arrested facing a lot of time. And the moment I was in the back of the police officer, I looked at his screensaver on his computer, his laptop right there in the front of the police car. And it had Jesus as Lord spinning. Jesus is Lord spinning. It was crazy. And I was mad, but at the same time, I was like relieved, like, okay, God, you caught me. You got me. I don't know what my life's going to look like next year, but you got me. Hello, famine. Hello, famine. We always try to dictate what repentance is going to look like. Intercession. We pray in certain ways. We ask God to do it our way, but God's like, uh-uh, I got I to gotta do it my way. And sometimes it's not going to look right. And sometimes we say, well, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, whom there is no turning or shifting of shadow. No, 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 no. If it's, even if it looks bad, but it produces change, it's good because it's from him, right? So a famine comes, and let's see what's going on with the famine. The famine comes, and look at this. There's a famine, he began to be in want, and look what it says, he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. You know what that means? That means this heir, he's an heir of a probably a pretty lucrative father, right? He's an heir, and then he goes out and he sells himself. So this heir is actually now at this point a bond slave because of the famine. 
You see how a son can become a slave, right? How sons become slaves, right? Because of bad decisions, but we're always sons, but we go into slavery. We sell ourselves for things that really are not worthy compared to our identity as a son. So he goes and he sells himself to a citizen of a far country. And then he's found in the pig, pig, pig pen feeding pigs. What does this mean for a Jewish boy? This is absolutely detestable. You didn't eat pork. You weren't around pork. You have a Jewish boy selling himself as a slave, now finding himself in a lifestyle of the lowest position he could even imagine. So if you're in sin in the room, you already know what I'm about to say. Sin will take you to places you never imagined you'd go, doing things you never dreamed you'd be doing, joined in covenant with people that does not know your God. Some of us are being hit by the crosshairs of heaven right now because we're like, that's me. That's all of us. Around people we shouldn't be around. Selling ourselves short compared to God's perfect will for our life. Far from the Father's house. And then it says, uh-oh. When I tell this to parents, they get mad at me. Look what it says in verse 16. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. You see, he was longing to actually fill his stomach with the husks that the pigs did eat. Did you know, if you study a corn husk that's detached from the corn, that it really has no nutritional value whatsoever? So he was longing to fill his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. You know what that means? That means this is a perfect picture of what addiction looks like in our life, whether it's sexual or whether it's chemical. You can actually die full in starvation. You can actually die with a full belly. You can feel good and have the feeling of being whole, but malnourished because it's not good for you. So this son was longing to do that, but this is the key. No one gave him anything. Can you repeat after me? Say, no one gave him anything. Look what happened in verse 17. He came to himself. See, people like, <laughs> Elder Rick Maples can tell you this, that the best thing a parent can do with a son in addiction is to cut him off. Well, that's not love. That's, that is absolutely the, the embodiment of true love. It's I love you way too much to enable this type of behavior. I enable, I, I do not want to enable you to your grave. So he actually has to cut him off, right? He, no one gave him anything, and then he came to himself. It's when he was at his lowest, he had nothing to eat, he had no warm bed to go back home to, he had no notice what family member was in the pig pen. No one. You know what that is? That's the definition of mercy. I'm not going to join with you in your dysfunction. If you want to go, you can go. I love you way too much. You know where I'm at. 
I've, I've been here the whole time. The son has lost everything. He's longing. No one gives him anything. And he comes to this moment, this moment of repentance because of a crisis. And then he says, I have nothing. I'm a bond servant. Who am I living around? This is not the will of God for my life. Thank God no one gave him anything because that's the moment of repentance in his life. That's the moment of repentance. So let's talk about the journey back home. Say this, say, I can't stay here. Come on, say it again. Say, I can't stay here. I can't, I can't stay here. I can't stay here. I know I can't stay here. I got to go back to my father's house. I got to go back to my father's house. But see, the road looks so much farther when we have to go back home. You know how it is. You know how it is when you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. You're in a habitual sin cycle. You, seem, you can't seem to get out of this. You know you got to go back home to dad, but you're like, it's so far away. The road to recovery looks so long, but it's not. It's, you know what it is? It's a step. <laughs> it's a step. It's a step. That's what recovery looks like. That's what freedom looks like. You know, freedom is the only thing in the Bible that's not described. Did you know that? It doesn't tell you the definition of freedom or liberty. It just says where the Spirit of the Lord is there, it's where you find it. It can only be talked about once it's experienced. I can't, listen, I can't describe what freedom looks like for you. I can only describe what it looks like for me because you have to experience it. One step, one step back home. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, see how we rehearse these prayers? <laughs> father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I love this. See what a crisis will do to you? Do you see it? All right. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11 one time. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me. Everyone say, give me. Say it again. Come on. Don't, don't check out on me. Say, give me. All right. And then look at 19. What does he say? Father, make me. Uh-oh. Do you see the shift? He goes from give me to make me. That's called repentance. See, we live in a give me generation, but we serve a make me God. We live in a give me generation. I got my hand out. You need to support me. You need to take care of me. No, God's like, no, 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 no. You come back to my house with a heart of make me and a heart of make me causes me to give you. He starts out, give me. He says, now make me. So he's rehearsing this prayer. But remember, verse 1, who's there? Remember, this is a story. The master rabbi's telling a story. And remember, the Pharisees and the scribes are sitting here, and they are ready for this moment because they know exactly what should happen to this son. They are waiting for this son to get murdered. So we have to understand the law. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. Where's Mason at? 
All right, let's do our thing, bro. I got a sermon illustration for y'all. You ready for it? Come on, bros. Run! Run, Mason! Y'all give Mason a hand. Come on. Yeah. All right. So remember who's in the crowd. The Pharisees and the scribes at this point are waiting for judgment. Right? Okay. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 21, Amanda, if you will. If a man has a stubborn, rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastised him, will not heed them, that then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of a city, to the gates of his city. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall put him, put away the evil one from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. See, I saw this for the first time this year. I have preached this text probably at least 25 times over the last 13 years. And I always wondered why the father ran to the son. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So this is what was going on. The father sees him, goes to him, and does this, picks him up, and starts. You want to know why he's doing that? It's because every villager of the town would have seen a prodigal son coming back home, and they would have stones in their hand waiting to kill this rebellious son. But this father says, no, you got to go through my dead body. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Come on. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. You see, see this right here. Look at the five-fold response of repentance. Look at this. The father sees you. Come on. The father has compassion on you. The father runs towards you and he falls on your neck and your head and he showers you with kisses. Everyone say, better. It gets better. You ready? It gets better. So the father's using his body just like this to cover his son. Remember the Pharisees at this point were like, they are so mad. They're so angry. They want judgment. They want justice because they're in this crowd thinking that every tax collector and every sinner should die. They're not seeing this side of God before. They have never seen this side of God before. Hebrews chapter one says, in times past, God spoke in diverse ways to the fathers, to the prophets. But in these last days, he shall speak to us by a son whom is the heir of all things, who is the exact representation of his person. That Jesus says, look, the father is not a father of judgment. I am coming to bring mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. And Jesus says, the father goes and he covers you. But you know what? When you've seen me, you've seen the father, right? John chapter 14, when you've seen me, you've seen the father, right? And see, the son, the younger son, he didn't look right. He didn't smell right. He was coming straight from the pig pen. 
Just imagine what he had on his garments. Imagine what his skin looked like. Imagine the father. The father in this time was never even supposed to run. Fathers in Near Eastern culture did not run. It was a shame for them to run because he would have to pull up his garments, show his bare legs, and it would have been a disgrace. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to become a disgrace to cover you. I'm going to become a disgrace to cover you. He covers the son, and then when the father gets back up, guess what the father looks like? The father is probably covered in mud. The father is probably covered in stench. He says, now go get my robe. That's the best robe. So now the son is covered in the robe, and the father is covered in the mud, in the dung of the pig pen. Come on. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin became sin that we through him might become the righteousness of God in him the son now looked like the father come on church this has to be our response this has to be our response too many times I think we sit back Oh, they're here. I know where they've been. No. My God, they're here. My God, they're here. The father sees him. He has compassion on him. He runs towards him. He covers him. And he kisses him. This is not the father. This can't be the father. The father would never kiss a son that did that to him. This is the father. This is Yahweh God. They've never seen Yahweh. They've seen Yahweh as God, but they've never seen Yahweh as father. And I think Jesus right here is saying this. I want to teach you not to know Yahweh as God, but I'm trying to show you Yahweh as father. These people in this crowd had never seen Yahweh as father before. They'd always seen him as the lawgiver that gave these tablets of stone. Don't you think it's interesting that that the law actually came broken? Moses broke the law. So angry, the law actually came broken. Jesus saying the law's broken. You 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 can try to judge her all you want to, you can, you can judge your sons, you can judge your daughters, you can judge the sinners and the tax collectors all you want to. The law's broken. That's why I had to come. That's why I had to come. The father said to his servants, I'm sorry, verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, I love this. (sighs) The father never even spoke to the son. You want to know why? Because God will never speak to the orphan in you. He will only speak to the son in you. And I think sometimes our prayers aren't like, are not being answered because it's an orphan prank. We're talking to Yahweh Father as an orphan. 
God won't speak to the orphan in you. He speaks to the son in you because that's who you are. You're the son. I can see the father putting his hand over the son's mouth. He didn't even let him finish his perfect recited prayer. And he says, listen, I don't need all that. You're here, right? That's when our behavior and our action needs to go further than our prayers of perfect religious recitals. He said, I don't need to hear all that. You're here in my presence, and I'm going to restore you. I'm going to put a ring on your hand. You know what the ring meant? This is crazy. We think he was just giving him a ring. Rings in this day had a family crust. Well, I have way too much water weight. Gosh, couldn't even get my ring off my finger. Rings in that culture had a family seal on them. So the sons of a particular house could go to the markets downtown. And if they needed horses, they needed animals, and they needed food, they could take the ring of the house and they could just stamp it in wax. And that would be a bill of sale. And then the father would pay that account later. Look at this. The father's like, hey, I know you squandered it away, but I'm going to give you it back again. And this time, it's not going to be yours. It's going to be mine. It's going to be mine. He restores to him his family seal, his sonship. He says, go get some shoes. I'm going to give you a brand new walk again. And he's already covered in the robe of God. Can you guys stand up? He's covered in the righteousness of God. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.